Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello, and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Asad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. My guest today is Omar El Saeed. Omar is the program manager of the Islamic Scholarship Fund. ISF, as it's known, is a nonprofit that seeks to increase American Muslim representation in film, media, law, and government. Since 2009, ISF has awarded $1.5 million to more than 450 American Muslims who are pursuing degrees or careers in human rights, journalism, government, criminal justice, religion, and more. The money is awarded through merit-based scholarships, film grants, congressional internships, and congressional scholarships. Omar joined ISF last September to help the nonprofit expand its programming and create new systems of support for their alumni, which they call scholars. Omar, welcome to American Muslim Project. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Islamic Scholarship Fund? Sure. So we shorten it to ISF, just easier. Uh, ISF's mission is to increase American Muslim representation in media, policy, and film. And so those three categories, they tend to, we break them down into like four verticals. So we have public interest law, public policies like getting involved on Capitol Hill, for example. Film is obviously like, you know, you could say Hollywood or just getting involved in filmmaking in general or specifically screenwriting uh, because that's actually writing Muslim stories. Uh, And then lastly, like journalism or anything involved, you know, anyone involved in the media. So we started about 11 or 12 years ago and started off with just a scholarship, right, to support students actually getting involved in those fields. But lately, I would say it's just grown to be so much more. Uh, we've moved the flag goal or like the end goal of what it means to actually have impact to whether or not people that are studying in these fields actually end up in an impactful career uh, in those fields. So we do whatever we can, mentorship, uh, education, resources, networking, all to support our scholars so that they can actually find themselves in an engaging career. And then uh, it kind of becomes a network where our more accomplished scholars, let's say, they can give back and support those that are in need of support. So it's like a really, well, it's a tight-knit community of changemakers across the country. No, that's really interesting. I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper on on each individual field. So I guess maybe combining film, media, journalism, why did did you guys decide to focus on film, media, journalism? The reason for the mission is to combat, I should say, like Islamophobia, promote equality. So that's the reason for the mission. And the reason why those fields were chosen is because those are the fields that we have found to have the biggest impact on public opinion. So literally public opinion and policy are the kind of the two sections. Uh, I would say those fields that you mentioned, media, film, uh, journalism, etc. Obviously, those are the fields that like, okay, this is how information is being presented to the public, right? So uh, anytime there is a, let's say, I know this is world news, but the most recent occasion I could think of is like whatever was going on in Paris a little while ago, uh, let's sure. say. And there's always like that Islamophobia. Well, the reason why it's there is because of the media 
portrayal of what's happening. So anytime somebody does something crazy, uh, Muslim, we, we as Muslims were quite familiar with the phenomenon. It's almost like we always feel on the defense, even though we didn't do anything, right? It's sure. just one person did something. Of so as an example, we want to make sure that we have more, uh, let's say, people on the right track writing stories about us. And when a decision is being made in the newsroom, okay, how are we going to spin this story? There's at least one Muslim available. to So they could say, oh, you know, Omar, what do you think? What do you think about this? What should we say about this? So getting the right people into the right rooms, or you guess you could say getting a seat at the table, as they say, it's, it's just so important. It reminds me of when I first started my career, my my early part of my career was in broadcast journalism and and video production. And I actually interned at a NPR station in Boston right after the 9-11 attacks happened. And I remember someone running into the newsroom and saying, how do you pronounce this word? This 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 city in 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 Pakistan called Peshawar, Peshawar. And I'm like, no, Peshawar. (laughs) And he looks at me and he goes, how do you know that? And I'm like. I said my family's from there, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> oh to, to me, that's like that's the you know the epitome of you know you need people in the room because even just for the little things of pronunciation, you know. Right. That's that's it's like I feel like there's a dark humor when it comes to like stories like that. Like it's funny, but there's there's pain behind oh, that, right? Sure. Yeah. And that's just a, a simple example. I mean, there's all all sorts of other you know. That types of, we all have kind of have examples like that, especially right. people who are in journalism and and and, and whatnot. <laughs> are there are there examples that that come to to your mind in recent examples, either positive or negative portrayals of Muslims in the media? Uh, I think the Pfizer vaccine, for example, was like a really positive example uh, that being you know made by a Muslim couple. I saw that story shared a lot, uh, but again, I think most of the people that share that story are Muslims. Yeah, so. It, unfortunate it's just again i think the work needs to be done because unless the story matches up with the popular narrative or what people believe will sell uh unfortunately doesn't get shared as much or doesn't get uh as much attention so but that's the most recent example off the top of my mind yeah yeah. Um, and so then I guess the policy fields are law and public policy and related fields and we can assume why that's important but i'd just love to hear why, why you think it's important yeah, I think, well, policy is kind of a broad term, right? Like when you think of talk about writing policy, we always get questions from students. Well, what exactly does that mean? So for us, what we mean by that, I think that the epitome of that is uh, literally like Congress. So when we talk about policy or legislation being passed, we'd like Muslims to be a part of that process. So getting more Muslims on Capitol Hill is definitely like a chief objective of our organization. As far as law, uh, same thing. I think, you know, we just we, we understand that the system of law that we have sometimes uh, is not just and we want to make sure we fill as many seats as possible uh, with people that have, let's say, the Muslim communities. I, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I'll say it, having the Muslim communities uh, interests at heart, but also just having just like justice at heart. So I think past couple of years, we've kind of seen uh, the problems with the criminal justice system more than ever. If we, I think if we had more Muslims at the table, they'd be able to contribute to dealing with that kind of racism, systemic racism. And I think we're seeing it against all communities of colors, not just Muslims now. So it's interesting to see. Like growing up, we saw, uh, at least my perspective growing up, was you would see, yes, it's true of other communities, but especially Muslims yep. because of this post-9-11 world. Uh, but now, you, even unfortunately, you see that there's hate against all non-white communities it feels like so 
it's a, a little bit painful to talk about, but that's, I think, what's why I'm happy to be working for ISF is because you're kind of working for uh, something that's going beyond just even advocating for change, but like actually physically making a change by supporting people in, in a systemic institutional way of getting people to the right place so that they can implement that change rather than just like, I think a lot of people, when they talk, have these conversations, it's kind of a venting session. People say, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. This is the problem with it, you know, and that's, we hear that every day, every week, but it's great to have a, well, it's good that, uh, you know, it's good that ISF is here or it's good that, you right. know, and other orgs as well, but it's good that ISF is here to be doing that work because we're taking steps in the right direction uh, towards making that change and actually seeing like a brighter tomorrow. Can you give me some examples of any of your scholarship recipients um, that have, you know, you've been around for now uh, almost a dozen years, any success stories that you can share? Uh, too many. And I feel bad like having to just mention one or two because I don't want to take away from anyone. Um, in the journalism field, I, I see a lot of articles written by her name is Ada Adasar. I think, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but she literally is writing articles for CNN and she's Great. still in school. So, Oh, in school she, still? Yes. Uh, so I think she's still in her graduate school. But that talk about being a young achiever, right? Like you're literally writing for CNN and still in school. In the law field, a big name is Omar Shekhar. If you know him, he works for Human Rights Watch for uh, specific, specificities on the Israel-Palestine, I don't want to say conflict, you know, there's a lot of politics there, right? But that's his realm. And so, he, you know, he, he's a law, he was a law recipient and, you know, he's dealing with that talk about dealing with human rights, right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, for policy, I'll say that our most recent congressional fellow, again, Mustafa Alemi, so he he's working in the office of Cong- Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, so we're expecting big things from him moving forward. Film, so many films made. I believe one of our filmmakers was actually on Yeah, Rosie Joffrey was on earlier. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, was, I didn't make that connection until um, someone on your team shared that with us. But yeah, Rosie Joffrey was in, on our third or fourth episode uh, earlier this year. Yeah, so just one of one of yeah one of many amazing films, other filmmakers. Just because you know I love movies, Um, the honest struggle, Justin Masoof, that was a big one. One of the early film grant recipients. Tell me about that. I don't know it. So the honest struggle is about once you get out of prison, how difficult it is for people who have spent so much time behind bars to adjust or reacclimate to life outside or you know here. Yeah, great film. I'd recommend it. you know, for the filmmaking process, I'll say that it's hard. It's hard to get started, but once things start rolling, then you say, "Okay, this much of the movie is shot." It's easy to get funding in other places, so ISF is kind of like the the spark. So if somebody has a good idea, we see that they have the skills, we award them the grant, they're able to get their film made. So yeah, yeah. that's great. There is a, a deadline coming up. Do you want to talk about what's coming up and and what that which program that is for? Yeah, I'd love to. So the flagship program of ISF was the scholarship. Uh, that's a year. It's an annual program with the deadline normally being March 21st. So uh, that's 2021, right? But we've just extended the deadline to April 5th. Uh, so for if you're a Muslim student and you're working in the fields of media, policy, or film, and policy, of course, includes uh, political science, public administration, international studies. So it's not just public policy, right? Uh, when I talk about these fields, uh, you know, law is also included, as we mentioned. Feel free to visit, you know, our website. I, I believe I, I'll just say now programs.islamicscholarship 
fund.org is the best website to go to just get uh, the most relevant information about the scholarship. But we also, if you have questions about the application, uh, just feel free to email us. We're pretty good about getting, you know, responses back. I know it's kind of uh, like we have a very clear focus. I think you've noticed, right? Yeah, sure. So yeah. not every student is going to be eligible. But if you have questions about that eligibility, you have questions about that application, feel free to reach out to us. We're, we're, we're always happy to engage students and answer their questions. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you. Why did you decide to join this organization in, in September? What is your role? So, yeah, I'm the program manager. So facilitating all of these different programs from the top down for the A to Z is kind of my responsibility. It's a joy because I think it's just there's a lot of moving parts and it takes a lot of follow up and making sure that everything gets done and everything is moving forward on time. And I, why I personally love ISF and why I was happy to come on board is because I saw I feel like in the Muslim community, you know, there's a lot of complaining uh, and very little doing. You know, and I grew up with this, like sitting around, we'd have the house parties with the family and, the, and then the, the men would go and have tea and maybe some of them would smoke and all they would do is complain. Yeah. And growing up, I, and then I think you learn from that a little bit, right? Like in my yeah, personal sure. experience, you learn, you learn from that. It's like, okay, this is how you deal with your problems. You just, you get the boys around and you complain about oh, yeah, it. Sorry sure. to put it, that, sorry to put it that way, but that's literally what would happen at least in my uh, upbringing. Uh, but I always thought, why not do something about it? Why not put your uh, actions or, you know, force yourself to commit to something? So I think nowadays people are looking, okay, let's not just complain. Let's actually do something. Let's institution. In, that's why I keep using the word institutionalizing. it. Yeah. Because you want it to, when you institutionalize something, you're, you're making it exist beyond yourself. I think these days, unfortunately... Everything is obsessed with the personal brand. Everything is obsessed with uh, me, 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 me. This is what I'm doing. I am an influencer. I am doing this. I'm advocating for that. I'm not a fan of that. I think we need more people willing to put their their cause above their name and sacrifice their name for the cause. It's not, I think we as a collective suffer because it be, we put me before the group. If we put the American Muslim cause, let's say, above me, I think we're going to get a lot further. So when we're talking about supporting organizations like ISF or not just ISF, any or there's so many organizations doing good work, uh, I think that's really why it's important. Some people think, well, I don't want to support this cause because I'd rather just do it myself. Well, you're not just supporting what, what's going to happen when you're gone, right? Like we are not right. just supporting that one activity or supporting a like the growth of an organization to continuously learn, grow and facilitate that impact. One question that, that came came to mind was, I feel like another common complaint is that people want change now, right? And not, are not willing to put in the work and the time that it needs to, you know, it might it might take a generation for us to, to get to where we need to be, you know? And so how do you, how do you deal with that? And how do, what, what's your thought around that? Sure. Uh, just as you said, we're definitely in this time of, desiring or demanding instant gratification. And unfortunately, that's just not how some things work in this world. And, uh, you know, I myself am guilty of this, but sometimes when you don't see a change made immediately, you give up on that cause and you move on and you try something else. But, uh, you know, what's that proverb? The best day to plant the tree was last year. The second best day is today, right? Yeah, so yeah. 
of always hindsight is twenty twenty, and you think, oh man, I should have bought Bitcoin or whatever, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. silly thing, whatever. Game stop. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Game stop. Thank you. Speaking, of, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what's the stock at now? Yeah, uh, right. No, no. I will say that really, yeah, we got to be focused on just playing the long game and being patient. And the reason, you know, oh man, I'm getting to like un- uncle mentality, right? Like, <laughs> I hate Which you to, are not, I, I'm, I'm assuming, right? You, you you look pretty young. You're not an uncle at this point, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. 30, I'm 31. As of this recording, I'm 31 years old, which I'm like shocked that I, I feel like I'm, you know, the I don't want to say an early midlife crisis, but yeah, I'm like, can't I can't believe that I'm 31. Anyways, I understand where the uncle, I hate to even... I don't want to call them out. Like, I feel like it's kind of rude to say uncle, but uncle mentality, the reason why uncles are successful in like running organizations and like community initiatives is because they're patient and they stick around and they do it. They're, they're in it for the long call. Uh, some of the best leaders that I've ever met in my life are like that. They may have some flaws, but then what makes them exceptional is that they're patient and they don't give up. And I think a lot of us, we don't have that. We, we give up very easily. And as soon as we see that things don't work out, we move on and we think that we fail. So, yeah, stay patient. Uh, you never. I think I feel like if so many people, if they would have kept going instead of moving on and calling it quits and declaring failure, uh, who knows where they could have been at right now? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Omar will share a personal story of getting bullied in middle school. You're listening to American Muslim Project. Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Omar El Said, the program manager at the Islamic Scholarship Fund. After graduating college, Omar spent time working in the healthcare industry, but left it to pursue his passion of working exclusively with Muslim organizations. He told me why. Many Muslims, uh, I don't know if others have found themselves in my experience, but many Muslims are uh, trauma survivors one way or another. And I think the trauma of having to go through... uh, live through 9-11, let's say, and go to school and be made fun of as the one Muslim school or the one Muslim kid at school, uh, that was traumatic. And I think those kind of experiences shape what what kind of person you want to be for some people. And I think that definitely happened to me. And so those experiences shifted me like, okay, this wasn't right. Uh, I'd like to do something about it. And so I was always gravitated towards uh, that cause I would say. So I'm actually so blessed to have found ISF and, and to be working here. Well, can I ask, um, what kind of things would people say to you? Uh, okay. So interesting. Uh, how specific can I get here? <laughs> this is, uh, do, do, do I want to, should I mention names or <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, that's totally fine. No, I mean, I mean, I think that I feel like, I feel like those little you. details can, okay. Those little details can add a little flavor to the story. So sure. I remember, uh, Stephen Tennant, if you're out there, it's okay. I love you and I forgive you. But I remember sitting around in junior high, I was in seventh grade when nine 11 happened. And a few months later, I was sitting outside with uh, some people having lunch, uh, you know, friends, but not really quite friends. You know what I mean? Like when you're just having lunch, you don't really know them that well. So not necessarily anyone I would know to have my back, let's say. And I was just eating minding my own business when all of a sudden, uh, six foot four, 12 year old Steven walks up to me and says, you're a terrorist oh, in front of everyone. And I was like, what? 
He said, you're a terrorist. I said, why? Why would you say that? How can you think that? Like what? Like, but at the same time, you're embarrassed. You're shocked, right? Like you're being put on the spot in front of all these people. Steven said, uh, you know how to defuse a bomb. And I said, wait a second. Like, what did that make me a counter terrorist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Using logic. I love it. <laughs> so your I, oh my God. I, but I was so shocked. Why would he say defuse a bomb? Doesn't he mean like make a bomb? But anyways, the reason why I knew the word counter-terrorist, by the way, is because at that time I was a gamer. I mean, I'm still a gamer, but I was playing the game Counter-Strike. So, you know, terrorist, counter-terrorist for anyone that knows that reference, sure. But anyways, um, so gaming did help me in that moment, let's say. So then afterwards, (laughs) somebody finally, I remember this girl, her name was Ashley. Uh, Thank you, Ashley, for standing up for me. She said, what are you talking about? Like, go away. I don't, not friends with her, but she stood up for me. Um, That's great. still that, it was great, but at the same time, it took a little while, right? Like, it was like a three-minute thing where he was just like not going away like he found me uh i don't know why he did that i found out a few years later his dad was a high school teacher at the high school i went to and i knew a few muslims that went to the same high school as me uh he would spend maybe five minutes of every day complaining about muslims and specifically oh, arab man. people uh and he, guess what he was a computer science teacher like he he would teach people how to type so what the, what business does he have in a high school telling kids about uh, Middle Eastern politics, right? Yeah. So uh, I luckily did not have a class with this guy, Stephen. Uh, again, I love you. I forgive you if you hear this. But I think uh, the reason why he said that is probably from his dad, you know? So again, uh, it's kind of this behavior is kind of learned, right? So that was kind of like a lesson for me from a young age. Like, don't take it personally against the people. But that's why we got to systematically deal with these things. It's not enough to just... Uh, this is, it's like a problem greater than every individual. As you were sharing your story, you started by saying, I love you, I for- forgive you, which I thought was really interesting because it was a, a traumatic thing for you to have gone through whatever it was 20 years ago or so. Um, why did you start with that? Is that is that something that, that you do often? Yeah, um, n- not as much as I used to. But I used to um, I used to have problems sleeping, you know, like every other awkward teenager. I would uh, think about every cringy moment that I uh, ever did in my life. <laughs> Wait, yeah, <laughs> have I, you experienced that as well? Oh yeah, I still have forty one. Oh, still okay. Sleep. <laughs> okay, so what I what I found helped me sleep at night is uh, forgiving myself, forgiving others uh, as well. So, and then actually, I found out later in life that that's actually like a. Uh, uh, I don't know if we can how how um, religious we can get here. May I? Yeah, for sure, please. So I think there is a story of the prophet peace be upon him, in which uh, he was sitting in a gathering in uh, the mosque or the masjid, and somebody walked in and he told everyone that he was sitting with that that's somebody who has been promised paradise, and uh, people were very interested in getting to paradise back then, is what I'm told. Uh, so, so, so they they made it. They made a big effort to ask this guy, okay, what are you doing? Uh, like, oh, he must have. He's got the secret sauce. Let's figure it out. So, but at the same time, they were kind of shy to tell him what they were getting out of him. So, one person even took it so far as to ask, make up some excuse so that he can live it with him and watch him. So he does that, and he watches the guy. Nothing's out of the ordinary. He's like, man, this guy's nothing special. So he comes out and he asks him, said, okay, listen, like. You know, prophet, peace be upon him, said that you're going to paradise and I I want to go to paradise. So tell me, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm not doing anything special. But the one thing that uh, might be special is that every night before 
I sleep, I forgive everyone that has wronged me that day. Wow. That stuck with me because I think, again, this is kind of getting really like we're getting into a lot of morality now. But I feel like, yes, what's cool about Islam is that like, unlike other, I don't want to say unlike other faiths, but like it takes when you wrong somebody, it's a serious deal, right? Like you, it's not just like you can just ask for forgiveness and the, the damage has been done. No, when you hurt somebody, you hurt them. And it's between you and that person at that point. Like you can ask for God's forgiveness, but also you should seek forgiveness from that person. Um I just feel like there's too much pain in this world. And I think a lot of times it's not on purpose or even those people that do bad things. What I always question, what brought them to that? So even though I may have, I try not to have hatred, but I, I, you know, I try to forgive. So Stephen, I, I don't know. I just, I said, I love you. I forgive you. I don't actually love the guy, uh, but <laughs> I do forgive him sure. because especially because I, I, I learned about his dad. In fact, maybe I say I love him because I feel bad. I feel bad that he was taught something that was not correct and he was um, maybe raised in a way that taught him to hate. And we've all, maybe some of us have been taught bad things from our parents without even our parents. Again, it's like, a, it's like a, uh, they don't even know, right? The yeah, parents right. don't even know that's wrong. And like, you know, we question like, well, how did Trump come to power? How are these people... Um, supporting somebody like this that's a question i think about every day and so i think part of the the solution is not to hate those people but to try and understand like i hate what they do i hate what they believe uh with uh, trust me a lot of passion um but i don't try to hate the individual i try to think about okay what caused them to think this way what made them ignorant what made them you know i do think of the prophet peace be upon him when he was stoned and people threw stones at him. Angel yeah, not stones, stone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, not stone for 20 stones. <laughs> I meant like the, the like archaic yeah. stone meaning. Right. Yes. Uh, Archangel Gabriel asked him, oh, would you like to, uh, would you like me to crush these people between these two mountains? And he said, no, uh, please spare them. I, and because I'm afraid that their children will find guidance. So why punish these people for, you know, you know, I, interesting story, but I think just the general cause is like, okay, you always want to give somebody a second chance for guidance and you want to try and, and I'll say that's something, stories like uh, good and evil and like move, that's why I love movies. I love stories of good and evil. These are, all, I think my, all of these things, all these things that treat me uh, or like I felt like I love is because of those traumatic experiences. Like I felt like I hated I hated the injustice that people did to me, like the bullying that I would receive. And I aspired to be a hero. Like I used to play, I said, I played games. I used to love games where you're the hero and like you're bringing, you know, you're bringing justice to the world and like those kind of things. Those were like fantasies for me because I felt like I didn't have justice in my life. Right. And I I I know I'm not the only one. So um, yeah, that's, that's my story. I think that's why I got involved in, Nonprofit, so it's not quite. I'm not quite saving the world. It's not like Star Wars, you know, with the Death Star and all that. But uh, it's bring balance to the force. If whatever nerdy reference you want to come up with, yeah. but uh, if, it's definitely helped me sleep better uh, knowing that I'm. I feel like I'm at least doing my part. Yeah, I I hear that. Um, I want to thank you for joining the podcast. This has been a, a fascinating conversation, and I look forward to having you on uh, on the program in the in the future. Thanks. Thank you so much. No, it was a pleasure speaking with you as well. Thank you. 
My conversation with Umar El Said was recorded in March of 2021. You can find out more about ISF at its website, islamicscholarshipfund.org. A reminder, the next application deadline for their upcoming scholarship program is April 5th. We'll have links in the show notes to that, along with everything else that we talked about. Thanks for listening. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafelion Media. This episode was produced and edited by Lindsay Gamble, Mark Donato, and me, Asad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme music. Special thanks to Liz Getman from ISF for connecting with us. She did it through our website, and you can too, at AmericanMuslimProject.com. Project.com.